Welcome once again to Mr. Benja's ADD Experience Live. Coming at you on a Thursday in December. This may be the last one I do for this year, so you've got to get with it in 2021. Got Tony Barnes, the 8-Bit Ninja, the Retro Ninja coming through, and we are going to be talking up some game development, some classic stories about uh, not just gaming, just development in general. And today, if you don't know, we're t dealing with a real developer. So we're going to just go ahead and go live, jump into this through a little more. As always, if you have any questions, if you have any comments, any of that, throw them in the chat. We'll get to them as we go along and we'll keep it flowing. Tony, how are you doing, sir? I'm all right. You know, I'm not too IG savvy, so um, it's amazing I'm, I'm even here. <laughs> You're not the only one. We also had a Tomo on, um, <laughs> who I met through you at a, at at one of the E3 random walk around, bump into kind of events. I don't know. Do you remember that? Probably. <laughs> okay. <laughs> uh, yeah, but Tomo, Tomo's my boy. Uh, definitely. Uh, yeah, you know, there's a lot of walking around that we don't do anymore. That kind of sucks. I miss that because really, like, I don't know, the past few years going to the show was like, who cares? As far mm -hmm. as looking at the the products, because I either could see them online or I could, I guess, stand in line to see what I could see online. Right. It really was it was about walking the show floor, seeing people I haven't seen in a long time. You know, hanging out at the bar, getting watered down drinks, all that fun stuff. <laughs> yeah, I'm a uh, lot of a lot of e lot of e three stories um, to be told. Um, <laughs> some of them not to be told, but yeah. Oh, right, right, right. <laughs> yeah. What was your uh, different times though? <laughs> what was your What was your first E three? Uh, the very first E three. Um, really? Oh yeah. I mean, you know, I I've been in the game for thirty six years now. Um, and uh, even though I don't do many conventions, um, I did E three definitely the first time. Uh, and uh, actually, I I went through all of them up and you know up until the one right before the last one or before you know 2020 boom uh, 2019 i went up and met up with red bull and hooked up mm -hmm. and everything but i never touched the show floor in 2019 and i was like yeah you know what this is probably my last e3 and i, I hate to say it because i was a big proponent of e3 like in in our biz, there's a, a lot of people that like to shun the spotlight, the stuff that actually, you know, puts a spotlight on our biz to the normies or whatever, you know, to the customer, to the user, whatever you want to call people. Um, I, I don't, I don't really prescribe to that. Like, you know, TGAs are the TGAs, E3 is E3, you know, I'm, I'm all about it because most of the time when people look at our biz or talk of, like when the mainstream media talks about our biz they're usually not talking about it in a good light you know they're usually saying like oh this you know this sociopath did this or you know or this is bad so yeah it's always got some weird twist to it where it's yep. not a straightforward hey this is a celebration of whatever here's something cool that's coming out they're blazing technology trails or whatever it's just right it's usually the bad and, um, and so when E3 rolls around or even the TGAs roll around the community, gaming community and devs and all that fun stuff, like the bitch and moan, but, um, the mass media at large are like, Ooh, 
look at this thing. Oh, it's really nice and polished. It makes how much money? And, you know, you, you got to play into that. You know, this is a business. Nobody's in business for decades without actually, you know, acting like a business. Yeah. It's not charity. Anyway. <laughs> so, uh, speaking of being in the business for a while, um, I didn't want anybody to gloss over that thing you said in the industry, 35 years. That's amazing. That's excellent. Um, I want to be, I want to tell you very early on this discussion. I admire what you've done and where you've been and you're a pretty badass individual. <laughs> but I, I, I feel, yeah. <laughs> tell me about, um, Really quick, the the quick bio, or as quick as you'd like it to be, of where you've been, where you uh, where you are, and where you're going. Just a quick little overview, and then we'll proceed from there. Uh, let's see how quick can I make this. Um, started making games at twelve. Maybe that's not the quickest way. Okay, we'll skip to the professional stuff. Uh, started making games at fifteen. Then professionally. Um, you know, uh, the app two started in school. Um, then Atari. So my first game on the Atari, like I said, uh, yeah, when I was 15. Um, so was this just like published or uh, published? No, I mean, okay. if we want to talk about just like, you know, doing stuff for classmates and friends, then that starts at 12 and that puts my game career at what, 38 years, something like that. Um, but I don't, no, no offense to people out there hustling to their friends and everything, but I don't count the, like for my timeline, I don't count mm -hmm. that. I count the second that I got a check and I got that check and didn't have a um, bank account. And I had to go to my mom and go, can you cash this check? And it was a check for uh, 2,500 bucks, you know, so 2,500 bucks in 1985, 86, 1986, you know, that's a lot of money for a, a dirt poor kid. Yeah. And, um, <laughs> and, um, and my mother was like, uh, what is this? Where'd you get this? And, and I say, you know, all those games you told me to stop playing. Um, yeah, this is for, uh, one of them that I made. And she said, how long, how long did it take you to make that? And I said, uh, about day and a half, two days. And, uh, so she said, mm, all right. And then she opened up a bank account for me. Um, yeah, and that, that was in 1986, um, fast forward to like, what, uh, probably 1990, uh, I worked, I, I ended up working for the company that published my game. Um, mm -hmm. so I worked for them and they were called Antic Publishing. They had a magazine and, uh, and, um, you know, they were, they were steep. They were Atari. They were like hardcore Atari, um, go Atari. And, um. So I ended up working for them. They were in San Francisco. So be growing up in the Bay area really helped with, um, you know, kind of jumpstarting what I was born to do, which was to, you know, make games for a living. So and, did you meet any, meet any other developers or people that we might uh, know or anybody um, like just coming up? Sure. Uh, uh, back then, um, I mean. A lot of the people that I worked with back then um, are out of the biz now, um, okay. Because you know they're they're smarter than me. Uh, 
<laughs> you know, Ben. <laughs> oh, see, this is this is what I'm saying. This whole phone thing is just silly to me. Um, but uh, yeah, you know, uh, I ended up working with um, you know, like let's see, Charles Cherry and Tom Hudson, and then people that like you know made this little thing called 3ds uh, Max or 3D Studio because it wasn't Max at the time. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, so they went on to Autodesk and whatnot. Um, trying to think. Uh, oh, well, you know, uh, Greg Thomas uh, and uh, Scott Patterson, they were um, the co-founders of Visual Concepts, worked with them for a little bit, um, you know, used to hang with them, ended up, you know, living with them for a few months while while doing ports of their 2GS games to uh, the Amiga. Um I don't know. I know lots of lots of old old guys like myself, but not quite like myself. You know, like Steve Cartwright and say, uh, it, 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 like that far back. It, it, yeah. Remembering people. I don't know. It's getting. It's starting to fade. I'm getting old, man. But um, yeah. I'm trying to think. I mean, like. Uh, I, a lot of people call me like the, the Kevin Bacon of video games, uh, seven, seven, seven degrees of, uh, Antonio Barnes. Yeah. It's usually about two degrees. Um, if I don't know somebody, I know somebody and know somebody. Yeah. So like singling out people on a, on a name drop spree, it's kind of weird. Like, <laughs> well, I didn't mean to, you know, I didn't mean to say like that, but what I, um, what I was just getting at is that we're. I know I was connected to, it's a relatively small industry. And, you know, when I got in, uh, I was working in 2000 and I was connecting with people like, holy crap, this is the guy who made the paddle on the Atari. You know, if you see it, that's crazy. It's just like that, that's the guy or a, yeah. a guy who made, you know, and it's, it's just the guy who wor- works down the, the hallway from you. Or, oh yeah, I mean, like I said, like like when I met, um, like say Rob Hubbard or Steve Cartwright. Uh, Rob Hubbard, uh, for for the youngsters that don't know, um, one of the greatest uh, uh, video game musicians ever. Uh, I don't care what anybody has to say, whatever. He he is a musical god, and he made the C sixty four, the Atari, and then all the way up till probably you know cds came into being you know with playstation all that fun stuff he made like some of the most amazing music and made those uh, machines sing and um all of a sudden i'm sitting you know i i'm sitting at my desk at electronic arts mm-hmm. and i think someone sent out an email um which i stopped doing um because you know too many people would come and go but they sent out an email oh you know we have blah blah who just run the company right right um and it would just be like a big old list and i was like rob hubbard oh, okay look him up on the registry where is he okay third floor okay bam 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 <laughs> like yeah. i went over and fanboyed out um uh, you know same with steve cartwright steve cartwright uh you know made uh some amazing games for this company called activision back when they were activision not act blizz or 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 the house that cod built but when they were building, you know, games like Pitfall and Barnstorming and uh, yeah. Custom Capers and like all the stuff that made the Atari 2600 like a, a, a serious contender. 
because you know the stuff that they were doing with the machine was just amazing and the stuff that steve cartwright was doing uh for the with the genesis for our mutant league basketball they got canceled oh, mm-hmm. um, yeah um he was doing amazing work and yeah. you know i'm sitting there fanboying out and it's funny because now i kind of get some of that you know for the longest time, you know, you go and you, you talk to somebody and you're like, oh man, am I bugging them or whatever? And I think, yeah. you know, for some people you might be bugging them. Um, but if they're anything like me, they're like, oh, thank you. Somebody cares. Like, yeah. you know, um, it's not, it's not that I do this to, uh, get the likes, you know, otherwise I'd be more active on IG and I know how the hell this thing worked. Um, uh, but it's, um, it's good to know that the hours and the work that you put in actually has a positive, you know, a, a positive uh, influence on people. So, so back, back when you were creating and really getting into, um, the whole flow of things that electronic arts, you started out programming, correct? Or, um, no design. I started making games. <laughs> I mean, right. like there, there so, was so, so delineation back then. Right? Well, yeah. And, and so we kind of, we kind of skipped, you know, but like, um, I, I wanted to be an animator. I, I wanted to make comic books. I wanted to animate. So I was, I was making, um, I was making those things as a kid and then they put computers in school. And, um, I, at the time it was great because, um, the class that I was in was a math class and the math teacher didn't know what the hell to do with this stuff. And I was, I had another class where we were doing stop motion animation. Now, um, stop motion is time intensive and tedious. And because it was in class, it was even worse because you only had a 15 minute period and you had to coordinate with your, your uh, classmates, you know, cause it was a class assignment. Mm-hmm. Um, so all of a sudden this computer comes along and people are moving pixels like that, you know, like, it's like, oh, in, in, you know, five minutes to get the, bam, oh, look, pixels move around. And yeah. like, for me, it was just about getting stuff that I saw in my head moving and getting a reaction from people the same way that like drawing the comic books was about drawing something, drawing a story or, or doing dungeon, you know, Dungeons and Dragons being a DM. It was about inner interacting with people um with something i saw in my head you know putting it out there and then getting their reaction back so i just gravitated to the uh to the computers because i could move the pixels and um, i could even make it so that someone could do input and you know move the pixels and then get a reaction right so that's how i um got into it the programming was purely out of necessity it's like i said i wanted to be an animator and artist um and then um you know, I also make music and all this stuff. So it just all kind of came together and it made sense for me, uh, to make a video game. I like playing games. I saw the space invaders thing when I was like eight or nine years old. Mm -hmm. So, you know, and I had a 2600. So, um, I was like, man, I get to people, people make this stuff. Like that's the first thing was like people, you know, people make these things. And so, so so when you're on the computer and you've got the animation going on, yeah. At that point, did it kind of start to click like, wait a minute, somebody can actually make these things or, you know, you have that jump from just being a spectator to I can do this. Is that right? When it happened? The jump came, um, 
there was a kid and so i was in you know like i said i was in like sixth grade um there was a kid and he was like an eighth grader you know ooh, big whoop back then um and he knew what he was doing or at least enough he he, he understood enough basic to make a game um and um so he showed me his game and he um and he was like i made this and i was like you made that that's amazing um and he hit the break key which i don't even think they have on keyboards anymore um <laughs> what the break key would do was it would stop a program from running right? right so and i don't mean like alt f4 like you know get out of here it would just stop it stop. and and then dump you at a little prompt um and then you know if you knew what to do you knew what to do right so he hit the break key and he typed list list is the command that says, show me your program in basic, right? Yeah. Um, and all this stuff flew by, you know, it was like the matrix. I mean, it was, cause it was like green text on black background <laughs> and it was just flying by. Yeah. And he said, this is what makes, this is what makes you move. This is what makes you stop when you hit a wall. This is what makes the monster chase you. And this is what, um, uh, makes you die when you hit the monster. And, um, and then he just said, so have at it and and i wish i could remember his name and who he was because that was the moment like when i sat there and looked at the code and because it's basic it's 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 basic it's kind of english with punctuation yeah uh line xy um yeah i mean print, it, print. so the the description it's descriptive when you read it, it. it's descriptive enough it's like you know plot and if then and all that right and really games aren't much more than that even to the stick but um so i changed some stuff i could see the change and i was like oh I'm, I'm done this is it right um and uh i i wanted to be in front of the computer all the time um which was not a common thing back then um and i, I and i didn't have a computer because I don't know if I mentioned I was poor. I was like, like, you know, there's poor, and then there was like, there was like where I was at. So, okay. um, a friend of me, as I like to call him, because he wasn't really a friend. He was kind of like, you know, like Cartman. Um, where sure, sure. You know, he hangs with people, yeah, um, and he likes to puff up his chest to uh, how great he is, you know. But really, he wouldn't have friends if he wasn't being, you know, being that guy and had what he had. Anyway, so this dude, he had an Atari, he had disc drive, he had everything, man. Um, and um, and so I would write on binder paper my my uh, programs in class or wherever, whenever I could. Right. And I learned all this stuff from books because we didn't have the internet back then. We had these things called libraries <laughs> and we had, you know, bookstores. Right. So I would get the books and I would get the magazines and I would study them. And then I would write down what I wanted to happen. I would walk over to this dude's house um, and he used to live near me, but then he moved. So he moved three miles away. Um, I would walk to his house um, and then I would type in my program. Um, and put it on my one disc that I saved up money for. Um, 
And then I would debug it and whatever until his parents were like, yeah, okay, Tony, that's nice. You know, we're going to have dinner now. You might want to bounce. Um, and then I walked back home until I eventually <laughs> got a game. Yeah. And, um, so and now are your, are your parents like, are, you know, um, are they thinking, uh, Hey, you know, where are you going all this time? What are you doing? Uh, uh no, my mother was always like, um, go outside, get out of my face, you know, uh, uh, be home before the lights come on, you know, right. That that's, that's how I was raised. Um, you know, as long as I had my homework done, then, you know, you, you you're a kid, you need to be outside playing. So sounds crazy today, but I know, yes. I know. And it wasn't like, uh, it wasn't like I wasn't getting exercise because, you know, I had that six miles to walk, uh, you know, back and forth. And it was uphill back, uh, uphill both ways, <laughs> because <laughs> I lived on the outskirts of San Francisco, uh, right next to this suburb called Daly City, which was in a valley. Mm. So I went from my house down and then up to his house and then down and up and back. <laughs> but, you know, when you're a kid and you live in San Francisco and everything, hills and walking and all that stuff doesn't doesn't frighten you. You know, kids down here where I live now in Orange County would just scream if they have to walk a mile. They're like, oh, my God, why don't, you know, why don't my mommy pick me up in my BMW or whatever? Yeah. But, um, so, um, yeah, I would, I would go to homeboy's house and, um, and uh, I'll just say it because I want to put him on blast. Yes, Buen Ortiz, I'm going to put you on blast every single time I can because uh, what you said helped me um but you were trying to hurt me cartman uh which one one thing he said was like well, i don't know why you're working on all these all these little games um uh you're never going to make anything of yourself you know you don't even have a dad and so uh like i said he was my friend of me you know and he was always Carver. trying to figure out i get it way to like get in and all this stuff and he thought he like he was going to make this one game and it was going to be perfect and he even said that to me he's like i don't know why you're making all these little games you should just make the one game that's perfect uh, and he made one game in his whole life, you know, and nobody's ever heard of it. Uh, so, oh, uh, the, the, um, the achievement unlocked on that story besides, you know, my career and all that fun stuff is, um, I did actually end up seeing him, uh, years later and, um, I had, uh, gotten a, a 68 GTO and it was just, it was just freshly painted, um, and I think at that point I had shipped Jungle Strike. Maybe it was a Devil Strike. But anyway, it was one of those Okay. Games. And I had, um, I stopped to get gas and he was there working at the gas station. Um, and he was like, well, uh, this is your car. And I'm like, yep. And he's like, well, how'd you get this car? And I handed him my card from Electronic Arts at the time. And I said, oh, I work at Electronic Arts making well, not games. Wow. So, um, you know. That <laughs> that's my redemption story or whatever, you know. Always kids, don't 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 be dicks at people who are trying to out there hustle. And you know, kids that are out there, you're trying to hustle. Um, always remember there's gonna be haters. Best reward, hand them hand them your card while they're working at a gas station telling you you couldn't have done it. No, that's actually that is that that is very uh prescient advice. The 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 person or the cartman or whoever that can kind of give you that slingshot spark and just that little bit of i i love haters man 
<laughs> when I can use them for their energy like that? Yeah, a lot of, oh man, you, you would not believe how many times I've used someone's negativity to, to propel me forward. I, I'll be like, you know what? I, I am not going to let you crush me under. I will step on top. So, but I mean, sure. Things hurt, but like I said, you, you just, you, like I said, you just got to use it, use it to propel you forward. Like, oh, you think I can't? You think I won't? Bam. Anyway. Yeah. Uh, but, you know, so uh, with reference to the, like the whole program, the programming thing was uh, out of necessity because I needed to get things moving on the screen. And it wasn't like there were teams back then. There wasn't really teams until the late 80s, early 90s. Right. Like um, at that point, um, it was a person generally did the entire game. Um, and maybe, you know, like I said, there was like, like guys like Rob Hubbard and David Whitaker and all these, these musicians who their thing was to make music. Right. So sometimes you get someone like them to come in and sit in, but even guys like, like those guys, um, they still knew how to code because it wasn't like they were sitting there making music on their keyboard and spitting out an MP3 and going go. Right. Right. They actually wrote code, um, to actually make the music that you're listening to on your eight yeah. 16 bit machines, trust me. Um, and so everybody at that time kind of knew a little bit about coding, you know, whether you're a pixel artist, a, a, a programmer, designer, or sound person, you know, everybody kind of knew enough code to get them by. Um, I eventually ended up learning assembly and all that fun stuff, uh, because I would see games from other people and, and P and places that actually did start to have teams, you know, like a uh, Cygnosis. Um, and they had like a uh, speedball and Xenon yeah. and, and, and uh, chaos engine, all these, all these games. Um, and nobody knows DMA design, even though they made this little thing called GTA. Uh, and I'd be like, yeah. how did, how did, how? How did they do this? Right. Right. And so I tried to do what they were doing. And then it was like, oh, well, they're, they're not programming in basic. Why are you in basic? Like, you can't do that in basic. You need assembly. And I'm like, oh, well, what's assembly? That's okay. Yeah. <laughs> right. And so I'm kind of, I'm kind of always doing that. It's like, um, somebody tells me I can't, then I will. If, uh, if I see something that I admire, um, yeah. then I instantly turn it into, um, my target of competition <laughs> and I go after it. So now I'll, I'll jump back to the game development, but just in speaking of general development, you also, uh, you're, you're into music. I know. Um, and you're, you're also into cars. Is that? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Okay. It's funny. Um, uh, so how, you know, we met, um, you know, you were at Rockstar, right? Um, I was looking to bounce from, um, the collective and, um, it's funny cause you know, they were bringing me in for, uh, uh, what turned into Red Dead Redemption. So Redemption, whatever, you know, RDR, the, the second one, but, um, when they decided to kind of freeze that or put it on ice for a second while while they were trying to figure out other stuff and get the rage engine the going the engine that now is running everything uh mm -hmm. gta and all that fun stuff uh, they were like 
Tony, are you into cars? <laughs> uh, yeah. And, like I had just, I had just ro- rolled down there, um, uh, uh, in my, what was it? The, um, 2000 Tram Zam that was slightly modified. So I think it was like, it was like 375 horses. Um, um, I love that car. It was my wife's car before, uh, mm-hmm. mine. And back then we, uh, um, you know, we might, may have participated in some races, um, uh, maybe. And I, I, I might've known where to go, um, in San Diego, where, where people go to meet up and all that fun stuff. So I was like, yeah. So, you know, it made sense, you know, that I ended up on, on midnight clubs. And I thought you were actually, uh, brought on for that, which is, uh, so this is news to me. No, oh, and now, uh, no, I, I don't even know if they knew. Um, like I said, it was, I was literally asked, it was like, I was like, oh, I'm coming in for Red Dead. Oh, by the way, yeah, no, not Red Dead, but do you like cars? And I was like, oh, okay. Uh, yeah, I, I mean, I'm into cars. And I'm into muscle cars. Um, so muscle- <laughs> I thought they wanted me to talk to you because I was the other black guy. I'm, I'm pretty sure no, that was part of it. I'm, I'm, I'm sure of that. I mean, like, but so because to- cause you were on, they the Midnight Club guys were talking about, hey, we could use, uh, Tony and his experience for this, that, and that, and da, 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 da. So the talk I was hearing was like, okay, we'll get them on for Midnight Club. But I guess that whole thing hadn't been finalized. And when I got brought in, I was like, oh, well, I'm on the Red Dead team. Uh, I guess we're here talking about um, just life and culture and, uh, <laughs> you know, being black and gaming. So. Uh, well, there was just me and you and a couple other people who we know, like, like yeah. you know, Mark Montgomery and Travis, and that was about it as far as black and gaming. But yeah, um, uh, yeah, no, I mean, like, like I said, I came, so um, a great musician, uh, Steven Von Kempen, and he's still at, at Rockstar San Diego, did music for Red Dead and did, and we worked together on uh, Buffy and, um, uh, Star Trek DS9, and, um, he had gone to Rockstar and he had contacted me and talked to me up about Red Dead and, or actually Agent, uh, or some yeah. sort of like, and then, um, I talked to Wasserman, um, uh, the studio head, um, uh, about Red Dead. And so when I came in an interview, you know, I was ready to talk about, um, uh, cowboys and, you know, and then how much I love tombstone and, and all that fun stuff. Um, and then it was like, nah, you know, do you like car? I mean, I, I, I wonder if I had been like, what? Yeah. No, I hate cars. <laughs> like how that, how that whole thing would have gone. Right. I, I don't know. I mean, they took a chance, I guess. I don't know. Sounds like they were talking about it before they talked to me, but that kind of sounds kind of par for the uh, rock star chorus. Um, but you know, um, <laughs> yeah, strange place. I really don't have anything to say about them. It's a strange place. I learned a lot there. Um, yeah, you know, for me, it was like it was weird because coming from so I, I went to Rockstar San Diego uh, post the collective. And at the time, I was really burnt on on like the collective was um kind of perpetual crunch from the second that i got there Mm -hmm. um and i worked on you know star wars episode three which 
was a love-hate thing. I remember distinctly uh, the head of production, um, Doug Hare, great guy. He came to me and he was like, so Tony, I, you know what? I'm not going to try and do his accent. He's Scottish and he's badass and I, I really shouldn't try it. But um, so he's like, you know, so Tony, do you like, uh, do you like Star Wars? And in my office, it's covered in Star Wars. As I'm fact, there's still some stuff which all around here. Uh, but um, yeah, I, I, I mean, I even had like a little Millennium Falcon hanging from my uh, from my monitor. Sure. And so I'm like, oh, I don't know, do I like Star Wars? And he's like, Would you like to work on a Star Wars game? I'm like, what? And I think I was silent for a little a little too long for him. He's like, what's wrong? And I said, um. I love Star Wars. I hate everything that I work on after I work on it. I don't want to hate Star Wars, you know, yeah. eventually get over it. It's like, you know, now I can go back and I can watch Buffy episodes or DS9 or Indiana Jones or whatever, you know. Uh, but I tend to hate everything right after I'm done with the game because I get so immersed in the whole thing. Um, and, uh, no, wait, it was. It is, is the hate because it's never, it's never done. It's never quite that vision or it's just such a labor of love. And now it's, it's, post. I, I literally, um, like I said, I, when I say I immerse myself in whatever I'm working on, I, I yeah. mean it like I basically shut out everything that isn't the thing that I'm working on. Um, and, um, uh, and so it's like, um, you know, when I'm working on a strike game, I know everything about, you know, an AH-64 helicopter um, and, um, you know, about how, how you know, operations, you know, air superiority and all that stuff goes. Um, um, when I'm working on Star Trek, you know, it's like I, I just, I, I don't do anything but watch Star Trek and then um, any game that I feel is competition um, it becomes, you know, part of my DNA. So yeah, I, I you got it. You got to know it. Right. And so, um, I didn't want to do that with star Wars because, um, you know, it, it's a thing that that's deep inside me. I mean, I, I was in the theater week one when star Wars new hope came out, like, you know, my, my mother, um, was going to take me to some other movie and she's all, uh, they're sold out because it used to happen a lot back then. And, uh, and, uh, you know, but we can go see this star Wars thing as she called it. And <laughs> I was like, okay. And, um, yeah, I probably was like seven years old. And then, you know, the, the, the cruiser comes and the star destroyer and like all of this. And I was like, Oh my God, it's amazing. Right. Uh, and so that's, that's deep inside me. And I did not want that tampered with or tainted. And I didn't want, I didn't want to become, um, so, uh, saturated with it that mm -hmm. I didn't like it anymore. Um, which did happen. Um, but it happened because that was a rough, um, development, like, the game we were actually just supposed to uh first it was hey 
uh, we're going to license our engine, the Slayer engine, which ran, which ran Buffy and Wrath and Silent Hill and Killer Instinct and Strider, and, you know, all these games, all these games that that like yeah. nobody would ever know, all running on the same engine. Um, so we were going to license our engine, um, which I stopped at because I knew that the engine was um, for us by us. Like we had nobody else was going to be able to figure that thing out. Um, and sure enough, so. <laughs> Then it was going to be a co-development. Um, and it was a co-development for a while. Um, okay. Because they needed our expertise to actually navigate the engine to get the game that they wanted, you know, that we collectively wanted, no pun intended. Um, so, wait, I'm not, I'm not even familiar with, uh, I've never worked in a co-development situation unless you're talking about a team from down the hall is working with you. I've never actually worked on a, multi-company or studio type of co-development well studio, uh, yes company no yeah you know it's um i think it's certainly more common nowadays um that there's distributed uh development and certainly you know with covid and everything everybody's like distance and all this gibberish now but um yeah back then it probably wasn't it wasn't terribly common i think maybe ubisoft was doing it here and there uh, now it's their, you know, modus operandi. Uh, basically, it was like, you know, it, it was more like thinking of it as two teams as one that happened to be separated by 400 miles. Yeah. <laughs> Luckily, we we're on the same coast, you know, so uh, there was no time issue, um, except for the fact that, like, at the collective, we were generally used to, um, working until like eight or nine o'clock at night and, right. um, and, you know, you couldn't always contact some people, some people at, at, at Lucasfilm or LucasArts at that time. Uh, but, uh, so, so I imagine a lot of conference calls and emails, some conference calls, um, lots of, uh, air miles. Um, okay. so we, would, uh, so what the leadership, uh, would basically be a blanket over, um, over the entire project. Mm -hmm. Um, and there was parody on either side. So it was like a LucasArts creative director and a collective creative director and, you know, and so on and so forth for the leadership. And so, uh, they would coordinate and then everyone else was basically just task oriented, which worked out well for the collective because the, you know, a lot of the people at the collective, um, are very or were very uh task oriented they're kind of like you know all right cool tell me what to do boss and and they would just chew through anything that you gave them um just excellent people for that um and so for those people it was like business as usual i got a list you know and i'm going through it bam 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 there you go throw it over the wall um but then the the collaboration wasn't white working out and it wasn't, I don't think it, it wasn't really like a distance logistical problem. What it really came down to was like, um, kind of a cultural thing. The collective, um, like I said, it was filled with a lot of task oriented people, um, and people that, that were like, let's, let's just get her done, you know? Um, so you had more of a um 
get it done as fast as possible to the best quality as possible and um and then you know move on until the task either comes back or you know um or until you're out of the task and then you know go on to the next thing uh and we knew the technology right so our speed you know and cadence was kind of incompatible with what uh, LucasArts was used to. LucasArts was used to a lot of like kind of experimentation and discovery from what I can understand or what mm. I observed. Um, and, and you coupled that with not knowing the technology. Um, and uh, so our, our, our team at the collective were kind of outpacing them quite a bit. Yeah. And coupled that with the fact that we had a very short timeline we were working um, with, you know, the movie. The movie was being made. As a matter of fact, the movie wasn't done when we were done with the game. Uh, but the movie can have that, you know. They can, mm -hmm. they they were, you know, editing, you know, well, probably a, a month before it hit the screens. We couldn't do that. Um, and as a matter of fact, there were points, there's stuff that's in the movie um, mm -hmm. that we designed. Like, um our our lead artist uh our lead environment artist um said bob uh like he'll go you know especially to me because I, I would interface with them and ilm a lot and go he would go like what is this place supposed to look like and i go no and i go <laughs> what is this place supposed to look like to ilm and ilm goes well you know we have a couple of sketches and they'd send us a couple of sketches and we're like, okay, is this what it's going to look like? And they go, well, we haven't really decided and George hasn't decided yet. Yada, yada, yada. It's amazing to me what you see on the screen on, in the movie, by the way, considering how late some of the stuff came on board. Um, so with, a, a, with some of the stuff, like I was like, Bob, I don't know. Here's the shape language. You know what to do. And so... Yeah. He was like, mock it up in 3D, bam, 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 bam. And then I send it back to ILM and go like this. And they go, hey, that's cool. <laughs> yeah. And so I'm sitting there watching the movie after I got over uh, over my issues of uh, the movie and not the movie, but the, the development again. Right. Um, How long did that take? Like six months, a year? I did not watch the entire movie, I think, for two or three years. Oh, wow. um, yeah, Star Wars Episode Three, Avengers. So, but I had already seen a whole bunch of it, and I already knew a lot of it because I built the game, right? Um, of course, our game has a lot more than, than the movie mm -hmm. um, because our game is all the action, none of the talking, and our game has a bunch of stuff that they can't, they, they cut. Like, we would... We work on stuff because we had to, you know, we had to be ahead of, of the schedule. And, um, and then all of a sudden they'd go, yeah, we're not doing that. Like we spent, we mm. spent all this time on these smoke and mirrors of you fighting, um, inside of General Grievous's ship, inside of his, uh, his, uh, cockpit, right? The, the bridge, um, in the movie, the ship is supposed to get hit and then it turns and then it gets hit again and it turns. And, um, and there's this whole big thing of them fighting on the ceiling and the robots magnetizing and, you know, forget the logic of, of, um, you know, the fact that they're in space and they really should have just been in low graph fighting, but whatever. 
Uh, so we worked on that. We figured out how to make it work. And then they're like, yeah, we're not doing that. There's this whole fuel tank thing. Yeah, we're not doing that. Okay, well, we're not cutting it from the game. Like we, we've spent all this time and effort and it looks great and it plays great, but not cutting it. So there's lots of stuff. And, you know, we get static for that. People would look mm -hmm. at the game and go, yes, yeah, cool, but you made up all this stuff. So, and, and it's funny because, you know, then in another breath, people are like, oh, well, it just follows the movie. You can't, you can't make anyone happy. Yeah. But, yeah. That's, that's the difficulty with movie games though, right? I mean, it's, it's, do you just want to play the movie or do you want to have those characters and go have adventures that aren't in the movie? I don't know if anyone's ever really gotten it really right, but I, you know, I think, I think one of the only games that people consider have, have gotten it right is, um, is, uh, Chronicles of Riddick. Uh, yes, yes. That series. Right. And so like people love that game. They say it's, it's, you know, it's the perfect, um, licensed game um if you look at it it just embodies the vibe and and it's within the universe but it's not retelling it's not retelling anything that's in in canon at all you know it's but it expands upon the the universe and everything and it's faithful to how you you perceive pitch black and then eventually you know chronicles chronicles of riddick it's mm -hmm. it's kind of a, a perfect in between thing not like if i ever go back to doing licensed or do another license kind of thing like especially a movie or a tv show i think the stories in between the cracks are the ones that people should be uh, making not retelling what you can see on the screen even though I've, I've done a, a couple of those games, uh, those things aren't, to me, and I think to a lot of the audience, those things aren't as compelling because you you watch the movie, right? Do you need, you know, you sat there for your 90 minutes to two hours, you watch the movie. Do you, do you need six hours now of watching the shadow of the movie that you can move around? Uh, I don't, I don't, right. I don't think so. Um, people love Spider-Man, um, you know, not just Spider-Man 2, which Tomo worked on, Tomo's creative director of that, uh, yep, yep. but, but, you know, the latest, um, Spidey and, um, and Miles, and those are stories that are in the cracks, you know, they're in the universe, but they're not retelling any of the movies. And so I think that's the best way to go about it. Yeah. I remember, um. And I've kind of fallen off with playing a lot of games. So forgive me if somebody's done this later. I know, right? Terrible. Shame on me. Um, when I played uh, Enter the Matrix, I mm -hmm. liked that. I liked the idea of being far removed from what's actually happening in the movies, but it's kind of going in parallel and jumping on this little side story that's going along with the events from the movie. So you can kind of hook your 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 brain to the relevance of what's going on. So driving around with uh, the J Jada Pinkett's character and stuff like that, I thought that was like interesting. I was like, oh, okay, we're doing something a little different here from a different angle. Mm -hmm. I mean, besides the fact that it's a really good movie, there's a reason that um, 
Rogue One is probably one of the best Star Wars movies since Empire. And I'm going to just state my opinion as fact and roll with that. <laughs> but it's like, it's, it's, it's in between the cracks. It's, you know, it's the story that is, isn't at the forefront. They're not retelling, you know, the, the, the destruction of the Death Star. They're, they're, you know, like I said, they're, they're telling the stories that are in between the cracks. And so, um, I think a lot of people just find that compelling. They want more of the universe, you know, but playing or, or seeing the same thing over and over again, gets a little tiring. So, um, anyway, I am totally all over the place. Uh, I'm, I'm listening as we go. Uh, it's, it's good stuff. So with your, with your development, uh, licensed games, original games, uh, you got to do the remake of Strider. Um, you know, you you had the Strike games early on. What is a development philosophy that you think is kind of missing now? That uh, it's not, um, you know, a lot of people are just like, hey, make sure it feels right. Make sure you're getting the emotion right. When you come to a new game, what's a philosophy in gaming that you want to connect people with when you're creating? Is there one? I don't know. It may just change as you go. Um, it's a philosophy. I, and like, I, um, I like, I like, I, I just, I don't know. I like, uh, I'm, I'm a very mechanics driven designer. Um, so I, I like, I like things where it feels like the, the, um, the game has a certain depth and respect of the interactions that you can do. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, and so a lot of games at a certain point started kind of chasing after, um, being Hollywood, right. Right. There's so many people who, um, who just want to be screenplay writers and that's cool. I mean, you need compelling narrative in a, in a universe. Um, otherwise it, 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 it's kind of throwaway. Um, but it shouldn't supersede the fact that our medium is driven by interactivity. Um, and, and so like a lot of the things that I'm seeing on one end is just chasing after being, you know, a movie or a TV show. Um, versus really taking advantage of the fact that our, our medium is interactive and that it can, it isn't always, the, or it can't, it, you know, it can be a different story every time someone plays. Um, so on one end, I feel like, I feel like narrative isn't being taken far enough. Like, mm. um, stop trying to be uh, poor man's Hollywood and understand that, um, the stories you can tell can be more compelling, you know, because of the interaction and the immersion focus on that. If you're a storyteller and if you're a game maker, you know, if you're like a, like me, who's a, a very much kind of mechanics focused person, um, then double down on that. Stop, uh, stop making light of and thinking that, um, 
the interactions are aren't uh, you know that they don't deserve more depth right mm -hmm. so like even even my arcade games i tend to like um here's like okay i love speedrunners right okay. um the reason i love speedrunners is because i love speedrunners and i love fight games for the same reason is because you're presented with a set of mechanics right and for um for jenny and johnny average they take what's on the surface and they go yeah this is what i can do right um but speedrunners and people in fight game community and um and rocket league players they're all the same to me they take the mechanics and they go that's a great start but and they dig deep and they dig deep for years on the game you know and yeah. what what the game even though even if it has a simple set of rules and simple set of interactions they dig deep into what it allows them to do and they figure out how to use their mutant ability to, to, to be better or different than the next person. And so I revel in making games like that games that someone picks up the control and they go, Oh, I can, I can run and I can jump and I can dash, you know, speaking about my game RDRA right now, but, um, but then the person that takes time and realizes, oh, there's actually more depth built into the game that's that's more than the surface. And so to kind of answer and bring it back, I feel like there's kind of two camps and they really should, you know, come together also. But each each camp is kind of surface level, right? Like yeah, like the app, there's there's a lot of game developers out there now. And a lot of people who consider themselves um, designers. And I feel like um, a lot of them are not digging deep into, you know, into their craft. They're not really going, okay. Uh, they're kind of stopping at the surface going, okay, everything seems working. You can walk and run and jump. That's like in Mario, you could walk and run and jump. Um, but there's an enormous amount of depth in, in even just, you know, Super Mario for the NES. Yeah. And people to this day are still finding shortcuts and stuff in it. So I say I like speedrunners is because um, speedrunners are willing to put into work the work on the games that reward them back, right? Right. So um, they start to do something with the game and they go, aha, right? And it's this feedback loop where they realize that the person that made the game actually realized you know put depth into into the mechanics that they didn't like put out in some big pop-up on the back of the box or whatever it's, right it's just in there it's 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 deep and it's hidden but and to a certain extent you can't really start explaining all that it's just or no but, you can't right but um like i said it's a feedback loop so um the player discover something in the game right that is isn't on the surface the game reacts appropriately right um which then tells the player oh the game actually knows what i'm doing that means that whoever made this actually understands that i would find this thing or that i exist um oh i want to find more i want to do more you know and 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 so it's it's this cycle it's this it's this conversation that you're having with the player 
um, and the players having with, you know, this creation that you, you put out into the world. Uh, and I don't think, I don't know, from my observations, a lot of, a lot of uh, game developers and, and designers don't seem to be looking at it that way. They don't think of it as, as a conversation that can go on for years. That's a, that's a good way of putting it. A conversation, a discussion, um, um, a relationship between you, the designer and what they're experiencing. Um, I, I totally think you're right because when I've talked to people, it's, you, you start to get into this, Hey, I'm a designer and I'm trying to make these cool characters, um, behave this way, or I have these, uh, interesting programmatic structures and mechanics. And I want the game to kind of operate this way. Look how these physics make the rocks fall and the guy jumps away from it. I designed that because I wrote it down. Mm -hmm. But that, to me, and I, let me know if this is kind of vibing with what you're saying or not. To me, that doesn't match with just the experience of I'm starting to connect to this well-designed world because I have a dash and there are rocks coming down. And not only can I dodge the rocks, I can actually start to try things out like jumping off of them as they come down right. and oh wow i can see another vantage point in the world and what's that there's another town over there you start to just have this language and this vibe with the character and i'm not even sure how to define it but i know it when i when i when it's there and when it's not right and i think that a lot of um a lot of games that resonate with people um, whether they're mechanics or narrative focused, um, the game, a lot, a, a lot of players don't know, like you said, but you know, they're like vibing with it. And, and it, and it's like I said, it's a feedback loop of you do something or you try something and the game responds appropriately, you know, within the universe or it, it, it goes oh yeah i see what you're doing um i'm not gonna put a big invisible wall here because i never thought you would try and hop over that i am going to instead <laughs> i'm going to do something reactive right um yeah. i'm going to um i don't know i'm going to spawn air drones that chase you down and say you know that's naughty or i'm going to open up a new path that will um guide you back to where i want you to be um but acknowledges that you got where i didn't want you to be right yeah um and people will respond positively to that um versus i <laughs> i remember um a lot of times i like to watch uh people play um and so I would, uh, have, uh, designers that work with me and work for me, um, do the same, you know, let's watch, let's watch some players. Right. Mm -hmm. A lot of people do that, especially nowadays, um, met, things are metric driven, but, um, I said, uh, you can't say anything. And, and that's a hard thing for designers to do, it seems, or programmers or yeah. artists or anybody. Nobody wants to hand over their baby and not say, Hey, 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 hold the head. Right. You know, they just, they, <laughs> they want, um, you know, they want to get in there and they want to, they want to help with someone's stuff or whatever. Right. I said, you will learn so much more by keeping your mouth shut. Um, 
And so we were having one of these little sessions and the designer said, um, said to me, he's not playing it right. And I was like, yeah, he's right. I, I turned to him and I said, he's playing it the way you allowed him to play it. If he's not playing it right, then it's your job to guide and steer him to what you consider right. Um, but that guy is doing what you allow him to do. The, 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 the player character allows him to do X, Y, and Z and your layout allowed him to do, you know, A, B, and C. So it, it, it's your job, you know, to guide and really to, to do it in a manner that isn't like hammering someone on the head because really nobody likes that, you know, whenever you run into an invisible wall or some insta kill trap or something, unless the game is, I want to be the guy or something that actually says up front, Hey, I'm going to kill you every five seconds that you don't do exactly what I said. You know, if that's the game, then, you know, the conversation between you and the designer is okay. I'm going to inch my way through this and I'm going to slide all of your bullshit. Right. That's, that's, that's what, you know, you two have signed up for, right? But if it's this game that's like, no, you know, you're Buffy and you're just kind of, you know, out for a walk through the cemetery at night, then the the game should allow you to be Buffy in a cemetery. Uh, yeah. And, and it, shouldn't, it, it shouldn't put up BS that just, you know, shuts you down because you didn't play it the right way. Um, and that's another thing I find a lot of, uh, a lot of people don't quite um, think about or understand is, um, you know, you don't have to go full sandbox. I, I'm not a huge proponent of that. I like things mm-hmm. that are crafted. Um, but what you do have to do is be open enough and consistent. Consistency is important. Consistency in how, how things react, how, um, how the player can interact. Um, the consistency is important to allow you to not get, uh, you know, the shelf moment, the, yeah. the time where someone runs into something and goes, this is all just bullshit. And put the controller down. <laughs> like, right. Yeah. And it's in, in the consistency is something that allows you to tune something to be how you want it to be, which most of the time people are, tend to make games harder than the general public actually wants to um, embrace at first, to be honest. Um, I, I think that a lot of gamers think that, you know, everyone's sitting there, quote, nerfing their games and all this for the, for the normies or the masses or whatever. Um, most people making games live with their game for years, right? So they yeah. become experts in their game. Mm-hmm. Um, they're able to do things that you, Mr. Hardcore, Mr. Get Good can't yeah. do at all, but they have to bring it back. They have to throw it back yeah, it, so they it, don't, so they don't slam your hand with hammers the second that you started the thing up. Yeah. And that's a, that's another variation to me of the, you're not playing the game, right? You know, when you look at someone play a game and they fall down the pit, you're like, God, they suck. Why do they <laughs> suck so bad? They <laughs> suck. Yeah, you're like, too. You're like no, no. It's, it's they haven't seen the game. They don't know the how the physics that you put forth work. They don't know the mechanics of mm-hmm. you know your your sliding um, or okay. drifting mechanic or whatever. You know. Yep. 
they don't know. So exactly. I was, um, I was just working on something and, um, and I switched the view, I, I, you know, um, and so I think, I think a lot of people think when it comes to switching views in games, that it's just moving the camera. Um, for the most part, it's not just moving the camera. Camera is a lot of psychology on the player and how they perceive things and mm -hmm. stuff like that. But, you know, for, for the sake of, of this discussion, um, let's say we had something that went from first person to third person. So all of the stuff that works in first person does not work in third person. And I'm not just talking about the character and all that. People don't realize that you can't run the same first person character as you can as a third person. Um, I'm talking about um, field of view and layout and things like that. Like, mm -hmm. I can't blame someone for falling in a pit um, because I left the level design the same as it was for first person when I turned something into third person. Because, yeah. like, in first person, you're you're walking up to that ledge, right? And you're mm -hmm. looking over that ledge, and you know where that ledge is. You're you step out and you can see everything, right? In third person. You're standing behind the guy who's looking over the ledge. So you can't see over that ledge and you can't see what you could see in first person. So if you, if you leave everything the same, you know, distances and all this stuff, you're doing a disservice to the player. Um, you can't say, oh, they're playing it wrong because they fell in that pit. No, you, you didn't do your job. You know, you decided to make this change and thought that everything was okay, but you weren't doing your job to make sure yeah. that the player was still treated fairly. Like, and that's the thing, like I said, like consistency and you, and you treat them fair, then you can be hard. Like I, I I've certainly made some hard games. Um, yeah. And, um, and people will play them. People yeah. will play them death and not, not play them in a dark souls. I'm going to play it to show you how badass I am. Like yeah. strike games were not easy. Um, mm -hmm. and part of that is, is, you know, people muscling through it is because it was fair and consistent. Here's the rules. Um, here's how things work. Here's how your, your, your chopper works. Here's how the, the bad guys in the world work. They are consistent in how they work um, yeah. and um this guy is consistently going to hammer your your you know your ass um so you know either figure out how to get around them um or not engage it or whatever right um the consistency uh can allow you and enable you to actually be incredibly difficult if you want it so and you mentioned uh you know, sitting with the game for a long time and, you know, soaking it in, you've got this whole, uh, you know, I, I was telling people about, you know, I worked on, you know, table tennis or Red Dead Redemption for this long. I dove into, into each of those topics and really wrapped my head around it, you know, became a part of it. And what do, I, I feel like, um, People who try, I try to, to engage with the actual properties. What is gained by understanding innately what the property is? And where do you start getting that undefinable 
authenticity out of the game where it's like, oh, this plays like it feels like it should, as opposed to I wrote it down on paper, you know, plumber runs and jumps so the game works. And it's like, okay, maybe that's. Yeah, I mean, yeah, there's there's getting through the task or whatever, and then there's like, you know, it actually uh, feeling right. Um, I mean, that's one of the things, that's what I was saying, like I kind of, you know, immerse myself in whatever it is I'm working on. Um, because for me, I want, um, I want it all to come naturally. Uh, and so uh, that's why I, I study as much as I can. You, you mean the I the mean the ideas to come naturally. The uh... I want the ideas and I want the feel and everything. So, okay. like, um, you know, you it if you're someone, you know, if you're someone that's oh sorry about that. If you're someone that's street race, you know, you know, you know how a race goes down. You know how it's initiated. You know how it goes down. Um, you know where it goes down, uh, you know how it ends, you know all that because you've yeah. lived it, right? The same way that like, um, you know, if you're, uh, you know, if you're black or you're Asian or you're Hispanic or white or whatever, you know that experience, right? And so someone else can write it. Someone else can come up with the ideas that you can kind of, uh, you know, you can, you can empathize with. But you know when something's authentic. You know when someone's lived it, right? So, like, um, a lot of stuff I wanted to do in in, in Midnight Club LA was really uh, authentic. Um, you know, it's the kind of experience that someone else who was in the life would go, oh, yeah, yeah. Yes. You know, they would know because because you know because that's what you did. You know, that's what you yeah. lived. I mean, it's even like, like, you know, like in hip hop, you listen to, you know, especially when, when gangster was all the rage, you know, you could listen to somebody and they could have a cool beat and they could be hard and all that. Uh, but you're like, what are you saying? Mm. You know, I'll bob my head because it's cool. But what you're saying, yeah. that's Fugazi, really. You, you didn't live that life. Right. Um, but then someone that's authentic, you're listening, you're like, oh, oh, he did that. Yeah. So, and it, that that's that's funny i don't know and i'm you know i still search for the exact bits or whatever and you know maybe i should just leave it alone and not try to figure it out because it's the certain artistic interaction i'm having with the property but to your music example you know i was listening to some funk master flex uh mixtapes i was listening to uh some jay-z or whatever and it's like okay sure sounds authentic sounds good I actually went out to New York, walked around Times Square, was hanging out in, you know, the Sean John store with a bunch of uh, Puffy's cronies. And I'll, it's like, wait a minute, I'm understanding something innately. I don't know what it is, but this feels like that music sounds or that music sounds like this area. I'm starting to understand it a little mm -hmm. more. And yeah, go ahead. Uh, well, yeah. And like people don't, you know, people think that, like, you know, we're talking about music. Uh, people think that music, the regionality of music is, like, they don't understand unless they're in it and they make it, 
that um, that is a, a, a representation of everything around that person, you know, that mm -hmm. group. Um, and again, you can you can sit and listen to somebody who's just trying to ape the sound. Someone who's just front and tight going, oh, okay, I'm going to sound, I'm going to sound like New York. Right. And they might sound like New York, but do they sound like Queens? Do they sound like Brooklyn? They don't know the difference. Right. Because they didn't grow up in that life. Um, they're just trying to sound like X or Y. Right. And so, um, for the people that know, they know, and I tend to try to, try to immerse myself in all this stuff so that the people who know, know. When, um, when I was working on Medal of Honor 2010, um, mm -hmm. we would have, um, you know, we would have consultants and we would have people, you know, the military come in. And we actually had a general who was actually part of the operation that uh, we were portraying in the game. And, um, you know, he, he watched our demo and everything and he came away and he was kind of sweating and he was like, wow, that, that like, that took me back. That was like being there. Um, hmm. and in reality, it's, it's not, you know, it's, a, it's actually a little heightened, but when you're in the battlefield and bullets are whizzing by you and all this stuff, um, even even if they're half a block away, it feels like it's right next to your ear, you know. Mm. And there's a certain feeling that you get when you're in the shit, and um, and how you talk to your friends and everything and all that. And so we worked we worked hard to capture that vibe, right? And we got confirmation when we bring in people. You know, we bring in people not just to say, "Hey, you know, um, give us some cool lingo so we can just throw it around randomly." You know, we brought it in to go, "Hey." Does this feel like when you were there? And they were like, holy crap, that feels yeah. like when I was there. Um, right. And so I, I, I tend to kind of want to cater to those people. I yeah. like to cater to the people that want the thing that I'm making, you know. Um, and when you're, and I, it, when you're fighting, fighting against the producer because they said, hey, that wasn't on the lingo sheet. What was that? Oh, yeah. There's a lot of that that goes on too. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, um, yeah, suits, um, suits are funny. Um, uh, you know, and, and, and we speak in general terms, so it's not everybody. Um, it's not, it's never always, it's never everything and everyone or no one. No, no, nothing. Um, sorry, internet, the world is not zero sum, oh. but I have worked with, um, I've worked with a, a fair amount of execs who just, in in some form or another didn't get it or certainly didn't get me um you know they they're like oh well you know this trend here and i go that's great but i i'm not gonna chase a trend you know i understand the cost of entry i understand what people's expectations are i also want to be ahead of that because we're not going to come out for another 18 months so why should I worry right, about right. what someone's doing now? I should be worrying about what the next man's doing tomorrow. You're telling me what they did yesterday. Like, I, I don't care about that. Or um, I don't care because that doesn't fit this, uh, you know, that doesn't fit this game. I swear. Like, um, if I had let, if I had let the exec do what he wanted, then we would have had uh, Gears of Strider 
it would have been all dark and gray and dreary um, and serious and dude bro. Um, it would have, yeah. it would have gotten canceled. And if it yeah. didn't get canceled, it would have been one of those things that you kind of like, like, like that bomber man that they made that was all like gritty and high tech and oh like, yeah, it, yeah. it would have been like that. It would have been like somebody would have said, Oh man, see, that's, that's why you don't let Westerners touch these things. You know, and I want to be that guy, especially not for Strider. That's like Strider is near and dear to my heart. I, I saw that in the arcade in like 89. I got a Genesis in, I think it was like 91. Mm. After, you know, after I played my Sonic cart, um, uh, first thing was to get a Strider cartridge. And I, was, I played the hell out of that thing, you know. And um, I I loved that game. So when it came time that... Um, uh, I was at, um, so I was at double helix and yeah. I'd been contracted. <laughs> they were working on a battleship game for battleship, the movie, the game. Um, oh man. Yeah. And, um, uh, we didn't know that the movie was going to be, you know, so, uh, what it was, um, we didn't know it was going to be like that, but, um, you know, they had, they had worked out some stuff and, um, they had been working on it for, I think probably a month or two before I got on it. Mm -hmm. Um, and, um, they needed someone that, uh, so it was at double helix. I had left double helix and they needed someone that knew FPSs, um, you know, could lead a team in a short amount of time for, to do a quality job because we had five months on that game. Um, plus the time that it wasn't on it so basically that game was like seven months start the battle this game the battleship game okay. and it's a first person shooter um in the slayer engine that slayer engine that was built for third person third person full 3d combat right right so um i was contacted because i know the engine inside now and i helped architect it um i got to lead people um and, um, you know, I was 11 minutes away from the office, so I was certainly willing to come in and, uh, see, and I was amazed actually at how, how good a first person shooter, uh, implementation they had going in the engine. It's like, wow. I mean, it wasn't caught, you know, and it certainly right. had destiny, which is destiny is like, but, um, it was, um, it was really good. So I was like, oh. Well, that's nice. Um, what short term contract? Sure. I need some Christmas money. Okay. Um, All right. yeah, it's like a roll out of bed. And I mean, it was like people that I knew, um, engine that I knew inside now. Sure. Why not? And like I said, um, short amount of time, you know, like no time whatsoever. Uh, and, um, so then Strider comes right after that. So okay. yes, yeah, sorry to, sorry to drag this on, but real quick. So yeah, then, um, uh, they wanted to keep me around all this stuff. So they like, um, you know, said, Hey, can you help us with this pitch for this, uh, uh, fight game for the uh, Xbox, you know, the like killer instinct. I'm like, Oh, sure. So I helped write the pitch doc for that. You know, like, um, I had a partner in crime on Buffy, um, who did all the combat, James Goddard, who also worked on super street fighter and all this stuff. Uh, he was at Microsoft. Um, so, you know, that kind of helped fix the whole thing. Um, and I was going to bounce. You know, I was like, okay, did you pitch for, uh, did you pitch for Killer Instinct? Did this, this lovely, uh, 
first person shooter thinking, whatever. Um, and uh, that's when the studio head said, hey, Tony, um, uh, have you heard of a game called Strider? Like, you must be kidding. You, you really must be kidding. <laughs> uh, uh, like, I have a bucket list. Number three on my video game bucket list is make a game like Strider. Um, and you're telling me I can make Strider, not like Strider. Just I can make Strider. Yeah. And I said to him, I said these exact words. I said, you get Strider and it's mine. No, 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 no Poe, nothing. Um, no, no interference, nothing. It's mine. And I will, I will make that for you. And it will be the best thing that the studio has put out in years. And he was like, yeah, okay, yeah, sure. Um, <laughs> they didn't understand the passion. Yeah. You know, the, the studio had like, yeah, I, he doesn't really recognize that kind of passion. Um, you know, he has his heroes that he worships and all that fun stuff, but, um, someone being passionate about this bizarro anime, like, you know, like yeah. weird, like LSD trip that with a sword that doesn't even a sword and like, none of it made any sense to him and he wasn't right. feeling it. And so to him, it was, um, it was a solid business move to, you know, um, do the do the games with Capcom and get in there and all that stuff. And I mean it was. Um it certainly made its money back um hand over fist easily. Um and I think it's like lists God it, it it they have a they have a top uh like a top one hundred Capcom like in revenue and all that fun stuff. Mm -hmm. And it's like it's it's in their top twenty. So um yeah it made its money. But um yeah, that was, uh, and for the most part, people did kind of stay out of my way. But, um, you know, I had to interact with uh, Japan, um, like, pretty much every other day mm -hmm. um, uh, at first. And then it was once a week. Um, sometimes I kind of had to say to them, um, I understand that it's your property, but I think that you may not understand your property anymore and I have a better handle on what people are expecting from it. <laughs> and, and the thing is, is, um, uh, a Japanese and, uh, especially Capcom, uh, the people I interact with Capcom, um, are very much, uh, uh, kind of put up or shut up, you know, it's like, okay. Um, and I appreciate that. Like, uh, um, I'm a hustler. I believe in meritocracy, yeah. you know, and I believe that if someone says they're going to do something, they should do it. And, um, so if you're going to puff up your chest and say you're about us and all this, yeah. be about it. Right. So, um, when I would tell them, um, it's going to be like X, Y, and Z and all this, and they go, Hmm, hmm okay, well, and they give me enough rope to, um, you know, to hang myself and go, yeah. okay, well, you said, you said you were going to do this. Let's see it. Yeah. How much time so, did you have on the project? Um, 18 months. 18 20, months. Okay. Yes. Uh, the credits are much longer, but there's 22 people for 18 months. Okay. Okay. Um, and, um, yeah, like they basically, uh, 
they basically backed off. And then at that point, really, we're just about um, making sure that the Strider character and a, and a couple of other characters, like uh, the, the female um, uh, fighters called the Winds that are in there, they designed those. And they were big on, um, they were big on making sure that, um, they were executed a certain way. Um, otherwise, uh, it got to the point they were like, yeah, whatever, you know, wh whatever Tony says, um, because I would put up, you know? Um, yeah. And I think that's important for anybody to be honest. Like, uh, I mean, you know, at, at some point when you're just make when you're making in a situation, uh, there's the talk and the the graphs and whatever else that you're putting out there. But I, I definitely agree with you on that one. I got in the habit of putting out demos, something touchable, um, you know, imagery fully rendered in game or whatever, whatever I needed to do to yeah. communicate. No, this is actually something tangible. Show it to your friends and watch what they say, you know? Right. Right. Show me the money. Oh, uh, but yeah, I mean, and so that, that worked out. It wasn't always 100% super smooth and all that fun stuff. I would have loved to have had a little more time, a few more people, but is what it is. And super proud of Strider 2014. It's interesting. Someone the other day said to me that they didn't know they were saying it to me. I mean, okay. they said it to me, but they didn't yeah. know who me were. We, well, right, um, right. And they said, I wish that they had not made it into a Metroidvania and instead made it like the old arcade game. Mm. Um, and I said, um, thank you for acknowledging that it's a Metroidvania because um, a lot of gatekeepers who believe that Metroidvanias are only 2D pixel things um, don't want to acknowledge Strider as a Metroidvania. But I sure spent a lot of time and effort making sure that thing was a damn Metroidvania. Um, but uh, I, I told him, you know, the thing is that um, in 1989, you could put out a game that was a half an hour long, you know. Um, you could put out that, that cartridge or put that in the arcade. Yeah. But in 2014, you can't do that. You can't even... You, you, you just can't. I mean, unless, I don't know, what, what, what's, the, what's the game that coined the term walking simulator? Um, oh, um, right. Um, <laughs> dear, dear Esther, right? Dear Esther, gone home, things like that, right? Those, yeah. things, those things can be movie length, right? Because they're largely all about that narrative. Um, mm -hmm. And if you get someone that's speeding through it, well, then they're kind of missing the point of, of the game. Yeah. But we're talking about an action game um, where, um, as I said, you know, he's a hot pair of scissors slicing through the city. And I said, so we're not going to slow it down. And it's funny, people thought that it was slower. Um, they don't understand how 3D works and that really, you know, when you're this size on the screen versus this size, you know, it's mm -hmm. a perception thing. It was actually eight times faster. But anyway, um, it's faster, it's more nimble. He, you know, can take more than three hits. Um, I mean, like all these, all these factors add up to if I built, um, um, a game like the original arcade game, it would be over in, you know, a half an hour to an hour. Not only, yeah. not only that, but to me, like, and, and it's weird for me to say as someone that, that takes um, ownership of Strider 2014, um, 
I feel that the heir apparent to Strider is somewhere in between um, like Mega Man X and Bayonetta, right? I'll take that. Yeah. And um, so the thing is like, with a with uh and actually our original timeline was like 14 months um so with um with that kind of time and resources to attack it as if i'm going to make bayonetta which is a lot of of one-off show pieces and stuff i mean it, if you look i don't know maybe it's 50 50 maybe it's 60 40 a lot of a lot of stuff in bayonetta is is like like a call of duty you know it's it's a it, it's just a big showpiece and um to me if you want to make a linear arcade game um, strider then you're going to be doing a lot of those showpieces or at least that's what i would do i would right. make a side scrolling bayonetta right but yeah. like we can't do that so I, how long did uh how long did strider end up being a uh, total run length or average run length i guess so that's a funny thing so um after you do something for long enough, you you get a pretty good feel for things, or at least you should be able to. Um, uh, Capcom Japan was stressing over the amount of time that uh, they thought the game would be. They were like, uh, we think it's going to be too short. And that's because they were skipping around um, and they had, they had codes and everything. So they could uh-huh. skip around and they could, they could start off the game fully max and just just mob on the entire game right so they thought it was going to be they were expressing that they thought it was going to be two or three hours and i said i can guarantee you it'll be four hours but it'll probably be more like six um, and they were like mm, whatever then when we hit alpha here's the funny part when we hit alpha we took out the codes and everything they had um they had people on their end playthrough to try and get a feel for the amount of time that would take and they said we have one guy that's been playing for 20 hours so what's funny is there's a meme out there that has um snoop uh you know snoop dog yeah and come on yeah he's got a controller (laughs) he's got he's got a controller (laughs) in his hand and um and it says uh uh strider shit is that what i've been playing for 20 hours (laughs) nice because because like the when it hit alpha before it was all tuned and everything mm-hmm. it was a hard game and it was long 20 hours 20 hours is too much like that game that game couldn't really sustain 20 hours that's the other thing i think a lot of people don't um think about or understand um uh time to get in time to get out like don't overstay your welcome sure i, yeah. I worked i worked recently a game called bob it was a platformer on the genesis and oh the guy with the little construction hat um, no, no, no. You're thinking hard that back. Um, uh, Bob was a little orange robot. Um, it was very Mega Man esque. Um, it was an early Sega Genesis game, and okay. um, I said so. We had I think it shipped with like 43 levels, uh, count boss fights, and I said uh, we should cut it down to 26. And they were like, oh, you know. We have this amount of, and I said, you don't have 43 levels of, of content, but you do have 26. Like we can, we can do 26. I can tighten it up and all this and bam, 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 bam. Yeah. Right. To me, it's, it's better to, um, just go out on a bang or, you know, 
always have a certain level of engagement quality. And yeah. I'd rather, I would rather be shorter as long as it, you know, if it meets a certain criteria that, you know, certain value criteria, I, I would rather be shorter than to overstay my welcome and have people go, that was great. You know, that was not yeah, great. I, uh, I didn't finish I, it. <laughs> I get what you're saying with the, um, and I'm, I'm hearing more of your philosophy here, I guess, in, in general with, uh, you know, have that authenticity, don't overstay your welcome. You're making a nice presentation that has a beginning and an end that you just kind of enjoy it. And maybe you go, you know, not, beginning and end may not be the right word because you can go back and replay as yeah. often as you like. Um, but taking all of that, how do you, uh, how did you decide to go really quickly into the whole retro ninja thing? I believe that's, I, I don't know if you went, indie before that or decided to do an independent project before retro ninja but you're doing um, that so um and yes oh it is true real quick on strider i did have an amazing producer um he was uh, uh, uh jorge was my my dog and he was there with me in every single one of those um uh meetings uh with the japanese and in uh capcom japan um, you have no idea what it's like to sit in a room for three hours with, um, people talking and they don't know that, you know, what they're talking about. Um, cause I know enough Japanese to know what they were talking about before they were talking. Um, so Jorge and I would, I would be like, yeah, they're saying this, they're gonna, they're gonna do this. Uh, look, look, they just said that. Okay. Um, but yeah, Jorge kept it together. Uh, but yeah, to address, um, uh, why say again because <laughs> retro ninja um oh so it, going well, into the indie scene with retro ninja so um many times i've joked and said i should be on my third failed company by now um and i i i could always find an excuse as to why i never went out on my own um and really that that was you know fear is the mind killer it was just like this whole, like, uh, I, how could I do that? How could I go out on my own? Blah, blah, blah. Um, so I, I put that on myself and just kept working. Um, and it's good because, you know, you get a lot of experience and all that fun stuff. But um, being at Amazon, like, Amazon's ambitions um, and what they want to do and everything in, in the gaming space didn't really align with what I wanted to do. And I know this sounds like, like, you know, what people say, oh, you know, the band broke up because we had creative differences. Uh, but, <laughs> but really like, you know, what Amazon wants to do and who they want to touch and everything is not, um, not really where, where I want to be. Um, you know, all, all this, all this talk about you know mechanics focus and all this kind mm -hmm. of stuff that's not just talk you know those aren't just buzzwords that are sitting in the back of my head that that's me and right. that's that's where my head's at right now and that's what i want to do um and so the stars kind of aligned where it's like yeah and you know COVID helps <laughs> uh but it's right. like yeah you know what maybe this is really where i should break out on my own and and do my own thing and finally like part of it's also 
uh, I have ideas. I have ideas every single day, you know, um, and it, and it's been that way forever. There was a time where I actually suppressed ideas. Um, and I actually stopped, like, I, I remember, I remember being in the biz, like really in the biz for like 10 years and going, I used to have all these great ideas. Where did all those ideas go? And I convinced myself and said, oh, I know. It's because I know so much about the business now. I know what sells and what won't sell. Um, and so I would start, I would just like stuff would pop my head and I go and flush it. Right. So it's the kind of short circuiting, you know, because of what, you know, short circuiting all your ideas because, oh, well, this oh, is yeah. this and that's that. So, yeah. And I mean, that happens to people that happens to people on, on every front in their mm -hmm. life. Right. They, um, let outside influences or, or kind of the life they've been living really, um, lack of a better term, inhibit them from being their true self. Right. Uh, so, um, then there was a point, because I've been doing this forever. Um, there was a point where I was like, yeah, um, you know what? I'm going to just keep track of those ideas, you know, and whether I work them into something yeah. that I'm working on or they're just ideas that I write, you know? So I started writing down every single yeah. thing. Well, was there something that made you stop and say, Hey, I'm, I'm not um, keeping track of these ideas or what they're did like someone asked you for a list of ideas and all of a sudden you're like, holy crap, what happened to all those ideas I used to have? Or um if that came about any certain way. It it's um I think it comes from like and this is part of why I went independent is um getting like if you look outside of your bubble or even if you're even looking inside your bubble whatever like you're looking at um other people's work right yeah and you go oh i would have loved to have made that i think that everybody has that right they, they sure. have like something that they look at and they go i would love to have made that i would love to have worked on that movie i would love to have made that song i would love to have made that game right or in my case, not just that I would have loved to have made that game, but in my case, I had the idea for that game. Someone else did it. Um, now, here, here, here's a big Tonyism, and I've said it for light years, and I'll say it again. <laughs> Ideas are free, execution costs. So I'm not going to look at someone else making the game that I um, wanted to make and did to mm -hmm. make. And then be like, you know, oh, I hate them. They stole my idea. Because first of all, how'd they steal my idea? Unless I put it out there, right? And I didn't. So they didn't steal my idea. What they did was the cosmos gave them the same thought and they executed on that idea. Right. I sat around with thumb up the house and didn't do it, right? So <laughs> yeah, I'm looking at, um, I'm looking at a flood of things as, as as especially as indies um became more prevalent um i'm start I, I i start to see things where i'm like yep wanted to make that would love to make that had that idea didn't do it didn't do it didn't do it and these things are stacking up and i'm just like this is ridiculous this is ridiculous um i'm i'm at a really i'm at a great job um but i'm watching the world go by 
I'm watching people out there running and dancing and jumping and singing. And I want to dance and jump and sing. And I know I can, mm -hmm. but instead I'm just going to sit there and watch them from the window. So, you know, all these things come together and it's like, forget it. All right. I'm good. And that's part of the name, you know, retro ninja comes from the fact that, um, a lot of this, you know, is like, it's, it's in my DNA to make these, these types of games. And like, I'm not, I'm not trying to be retro. I am retro because <laughs> I did that. I'm not, I'm not looking at, um, games that I grew up with and then trying to ape them without an understanding of how they became that way. I am basically just going back into my memory. And going, oh yeah. That's why we did X, like Y and blah, blah. Yeah. So, um, and I was, I was actually not going to do it because I'm good for that. I'm the procrastinator. Um, and really my wife was like, you better do this. So this is, this is your time. You better do this. Um, okay. See, I, w I wondered if you were going to say something a little more, uh, ultimatum-ish, like, um, you know, Hey, if you don't do this or, uh, well, I mean, or, or if you're going to do this, you need to, I don't know. Yeah. I mean, it, it's partially, it's partially that, you know, um, my wife's my biggest fan. Um, my, you know, my second biggest fans and the two sets of twins, it, they're all like, you should do it. Um, and, um, and like I said, my wife's like, you better, um, <laughs> you gotta make sure the wife's happy. Um, and I was in between projects on, um, you know, at Amazon and it was like, they were trying to figure out what they were doing. And it's just like, you know what, well, let me make this easy. <laughs> uh, and, and I didn't, Amazon, like, I'm not sure if they still have this policy, but they had like a policy of no side projects and all that stuff. So it wasn't really like, I, I, I'm a big rule follower with that. Cause I, you know, didn't feel like being sued or whatever the hell goes yeah. down. If you did a side project and didn't tell them. So I never, I had these ideas and what, but I never would actually, it wasn't like I was like working on them, you know, yeah. time was ticking by. So it was like, okay, um, I'm not gonna be at Amazon. I'm gonna start a real company. So it's nice and legit. And I'm going to execute on, um, these ideas. Um, which is also the, why I, um, am crazy and people are like, how are you working on, you know, well, I think people know of three of the games that I'm working on. They all know about the other stuff. Um, but like, how are you working on so many things at once? Um, and it's like, I've, I've had these things gestating, you know, for a while. Um, I have, um, a, a fairly wide range you know, disciplinary talents, um, you do. And I think, um, it's not the most efficient way. I wouldn't, I wouldn't suggest that people take on two and three projects at once, especially if they're trying to execute them at like a XBLA level or, or higher. Um, but there, I think for a lot of Indies, they might, um, empathize with the fact that they're working on something and then they get a little burnt on it. And when they get burnt on it, they generally, um, either barely nudge it along. Maybe they mess it up. Maybe they 
they leave it dormant for a long time, you know, all these kind of things. Um, what I do is I go, okay, I'm having a mental block on this one. Oh, that's okay. Over here, I've got this. Yeah. Um, and so I, I make these shifts. Uh, now what's interesting is, like I said before, I, when I immerse myself in, in, you know, whatever game I'm working on, um, that's where the issue comes in. So it's hard. I see. Yeah. It literally, it, like if I'm working on say run, die, run again, which is a first person platformer, right. Um, set in some sort of bizarro dystopian, um, uh, contest. Um, when I'm working on that and then I shift to BPM boy, which is a top down kind of homage to rollers like, uh, Marvel Madness and, uh, Super Monkey Ball and games like that. Uh, okay. When I shift, um, it takes me a few days to actually get in the groove of either or. Right. Um, uh, so it's like a conscious thing of, okay, this is already our, our a week or two or, or a month, you know, mm -hmm. and this is BPM month because, um, bouncing back and forth, back and forth between those is a bit tough. They're different vibes, yeah. you know? Uh, and like, I even, I even purposely made the music, the music's still me, but the music is different on either. Like, yeah. like RDRA has got, you know, industrial and you no know, drum and bass and trap, like most of the, the, the trap and drill, I let my son take care yeah. of, um, uh, but then BPM is all like house and, and jazz fusion. It's, it's, it's a love letter to nineties, you know, it, it has sure. a very Sega and, and all that, even though it's, it's primarily for the Atari, it's got a kind of a Sega and Dreamcasty, you know, all that, all those soundtracks, Ridge Racer, all that. It's got all that kind of vibe. Okay. Um, so with switching back and forth, um, I do that in other, uh, products as well, but that keeps your, I, I does it keep your just energy flowing instead of like stopping the car, you get to stop the car, jump into another one and keep going. Right. So you can keep, okay. Right. And I, and like I said, I don't suggest it for everyone, but I think that I, I honestly think that there are people out there that don't realize they have that capacity and can, they don't have to both, both projects or the side project for the side project doesn't have to be gigantic or, or of equal weight. Mm -hmm. Um, I think that, a lot of people underestimate uh, kind of the boost you get from not just you know not just taking a step back and it just and it just being, but taking a step laterally, sideways, and yeah. going, oh, okay, I'm going to work on this thing over here because it doesn't have all the baggage that that thing has. Right. Like there's um, between my games, um, there's a bunch of code. Like each one does the the previous thing better. Right. Yes. Sort of like, and there's code that, um, there's code that's in, uh, B BPM that helped, um, RDRA run, die, run again immensely. Um, I would have had a hard time, uh, kind of, you know, prototyping and figuring out the stuff in RDRA because that project has, has gotten to a certain size and everything. And it has 
it, you know, it's it, it's solidifying into certain into something. But then this other little side thing, you know, that I could try stuff out on because it was a lighter weight project. Yeah. And I go, oh, okay, cool, that worked. Yoink, and then drill it back in there. Yeah, and they they inform each other. Yes. Yes. Okay. Um, and like I said, it it um it allows me to keep active and um and still learning. Because uh, every day, I, I, I would always say this, and I'll say it again, is um, the the day that I wake up knowing everything is the day I wake up dead. So I'm always learning, regardless yeah. of, of 36 years in the biz or not. They're always learning. But, um, you know, so I keep learning, um, but I'm not, I'm not getting to the point where I hate either, you know, either of my projects, any of them. Good. Well, yeah, good, good for us. Um, <laughs> it just, it just, it, it takes a little longer, you know, it, it, but to be honest, I don't know if it takes that much longer because there would be those times like, and there were a couple of times where I was working on RDRA and I was just like, I hate this. <laughs> like, I'm, I, I can't touch this thing. I'm so done with it. Especially like COVID helped accelerate that because um, then you're not, you're not out and about, um, and taking breaks from it out in the sunshine and all that fun stuff. You're just like, oh, okay, well, everybody's playing hermit. I'll play hermit. Right. And, you know, and then you're just hyper-focused and that helps to burn you, I think. So. No, it's a, it's a good way to, uh, prevent, prevent burnout, um, just by jumping on other, uh, pieces of something. Yeah. Uh, when I was, I think I've done that in most of my areas of work. With, if I'm working on some module here, then I'll work on, even if it's the same game, you know, I'll just keep jumping from different modules because they kind of inform each other and it helps keep a, a cyclical flow going on mm -hmm. in my, in my output. So I totally get you there. Um, do we have any dates maybe on, uh, RDRA or I saw, I saw it on this, on the steam wish list, Um, and I added it. Oh so. yeah. You know, Man, somewhere along the line, Steam made it a pain in the ass to change the uh, release date. Um, but um, so RDRA, uh, well, actually everything at this point, definitely next year, um, because, you know, we're, we're at the end of this year. Um, BPM Boy, which is, like I said, the jazzy Marvel Madnessy thing um, that's grown. Um, that will be out first, um, and that'll be out within, you know, Jan like probably late January, um, early Feb at the latest on, um, the Atari VCS. And I know people are like, what the hell is that? What? What? <laughs> did I mention that I was a big Atari fan? I think I did. Right. That's you did. Where I, got my, I guess where I got my start. Um, Atari, uh, Atari Corp or whatever they want to call themselves now. Um, they built a console, they built a new console and, um, a friend of mine reached out and said, Hey, um, check this out. And I looked and see, I don't have all the animosity and baggage that a lot of people have towards this Atari entity. Um, and I talked to the people, <laughs> but I talked, I talked to the people and they seemed really genuine, right? Mm -hmm. Like, um, and I said, okay, fine. Send me a dev kit. I get the dev kit. I dive into it on paper. The specs are not good. <laughs> um, 
Um, I think the specs are somewhere in, you know, like a, like a, a few year old cell phone at this point. Um, but you know, specs are specs compared to what you actually do with them. And I like, I kind of like a challenge. So I started messing around with the machine. Um, and I actually, um, have another game, but I'll talk about that in a sec. Um, and so I started figuring out what I could do with it and what it could take before I broke it into a million pieces and it set itself on fire. Um, so I really like the community there. They're primarily positive. Um, the machine has done pretty well, actually, um, even though nobody knows about it, um, mm-hmm. COVID and the lack of PS fives and, and, uh, Xbox, oh, yeah. whatever's, you yeah. know, that but, I, you know what? and there's no, uh, there's no, like, um, SNES mini or this is mini going right. around this, right. this year. So we have, right. Okay, that, and and so sense. this, and what's interesting is this Atari, um, here I am selling Atari now, but, um, you know, this thing, um, here's one of the controllers. Okay. Um, it actually has a real control. I mean, uh, a modern controller, as we like to call it also, uh, dev kits over there. But, um, it's, it's interesting because it's a, it's kind of like this hybrid console computer thing. A lot of people, um, uh, a lot of people like, uh, day one when cyberpunk came out, we're running it on this thing. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, it, it's a streaming monster. I don't even understand. Like I, my games, uh, this <laughs> surprise, the game's not going to run in 4k on it, you know, especially right. fidelity that I do, but this thing will stream the hell out of 4k. Um, and, um, so. A lot of people are using it for streaming. Um, it's it's an emulation beast. Um, and then, of course, there's, you know, original games for it that have been trickling in. Not like a flood or anything, because people are like, there's an Atari, you know. But um, so it's kind of like, for me, it makes sense. It's like, okay, I'm starting my own thing. I'm kind of like basically hitting the reset button. So I'm right. going back, I'm going to make my own games up front, you know, a couple of those. So, uh, you know, a couple of these are all solo. Um, and, uh, but I'm going to be staffing up because it's like, a, not to say that solo companies are fake companies, but it's a real company. Um, and I have a lot of friends and, you know, we like to make cool stuff um, at uh, for other people. So we might as well start, you know, I'll start pulling in people and make cool stuff for Retro Ninja. But um yeah so that's why this game uh bpm boy will be debuting on the atari is because you know it's near and dear to my heart and i have the machine and i and i love the community um and they seem to be showing me love so um yeah and eventually it'll be everywhere whenever because um um when i'm making it i could turn rtx on and it looks it looks ridiculous, and so it's kind of a disservice not to eventually put out some some ridiculous looking version of it. Anyway, yeah. uh, so BPM first, and then uh, then RDRA, and then after that, uh, do you want to announce this one? You, you said you weren't gonna. Hmm? Do you, are you actually going to announce this one, or is it already out there? No, no. Uh, well, I talked about there's a game called a uh, uh, Chaos Chassis. Okay. And it is so when I first got the kit and started doing stuff, and I said, "Oh, I should." That's how it's Rector actually. Um, oh yeah, and the <laughs> the name is purposely like that. Um, 
the uh, logo kind of harkens back to late 80s, early 90s, like the way that um, European, you know, logos would go with the gradients and all that. It yeah. kind of has a little bit of that vibe, plus a little bit of the Japanese, like anti creates kind of vibe. And Chaos, Chaos Chassis, that's the first time I've said it wrong, um, uh, started life as um, was going to be Combat 3084. So it was going to be an update of combat for the Atari 2600, right? Um, but then I was like, you know, I'm not really a PvP guy. And um, to build just a PvP game in the modern era, you know, really it has to be live services. And then, like, I started going down that road, which is a I see. bad road. It, it, it's bad habits thought of, you know, that AAA give you. It's like, oh, you got to have all this and turn it into a cash register and all that. So, <laughs> well, I've never heard that phrase. Yeah, you got to turn it into a cash register. Yeah, that's the way. <laughs> um, so, uh, no, nobody had heard of heard the, the you're getting a scoop here. Nobody heard about the combat, you know, like PvP tank versus tank thing. Um, I announced it as Chaos Chassis, um, and I I would say not one week in the past 15 years at least have I have has a week gone by without someone asking me or asking out me for, for a new strike game. Right. And, um, I have avoided that, um, uh, for various reasons, but, um, as one of the architects of strike, I can roll out of bed and make a strike in my sleep. Like I understand all of it the formula like yeah hands down right um so i'm looking at this tank and i'm going should i yeah yeah i probably could i probably should i think i am um and so it it morphed from pvp to pve and not just this, you know, force scrolling shooter or shmup as they call them nowadays. Mm -hmm. um, it mutated into basically a co-op future strike game. Um, so strike on treads? Strike, well, they're tanks in the loosest term. They're tanks okay. in the same way that there's tanks in that Namco game Cyber Sled or Virtual Own or... Okay. They're tank, they're okay, hover, okay. they're hover tank thingies, right? And they have pilots that are, you know, rather equipped to, um, and the whole vibe of how the missions and everything play out are very strike-like. Um, so it's, it's open, you know, it's like, here's, here's a mission, go destroy this thing, go save these people. Right. But it's not a linear path. You can approach it however you want and all that stuff. And just because I'm crazy. I added to it because I was, you know, working on the the Atari and trying to see just how far I could push it before it blew up in my hands. Um, and it's amazing what makes it makes it cripple and slow down, and what doesn't. But right. I could do, um, uh, I could do like like you know Xbox three hundred and sixty, PlayStation three level graphics on it in split screen. So. I'm, you know, so Chaos Chassis is co-op, it's split screen, but it's strike. 
So that's this interesting wrinkle. Okay. It makes it, it makes it a little that, that you can actually make a pretty good, good pitch out of that. I think, um, I, I like the the vibe that you gave me so far. Split screen strike with tanks or hover tanks. However okay. you want to, I really want to put it together. I'm sorry if I no no your no. uh, concept there. And um, it, it um it's interesting because um strike was a solo affair, right? Mm-hmm. But now you can do pincer maneuvers. You know, people can flank. It actually has uh, some vibe of a game uh, that I don't know if people know about called Army of Two. Where yeah, like there's a whole system that I coded where the AI, because I needed them to not look stupid if if they were hammering on one player and then the other yeah. player came up. So they have like a whole they have a whole um system that's going on where they they read who hurt them, how much, yeah. how fast, how close, um, and they have aggro meters. Every every little guy on on the screen in some way or another is calculating who's the best uh, one to engage with um, at any given time. And so what that does is that allows you to have some one player lay down suppression yeah. fire mm-hmm. and then the other one, you know, silently sneak around and then just like, yeah, pincer, which you could so, never do in any. So is the, uh, so is the, is, is the co-op, I'm, I'm real quickly, I'm just kind of wondering if the, how the co-op made it work with, um, you know, the split screen and not dealing with all the server nonsense as opposed to the PVP, uh, how much of a, um, well, PVP means that I have to balance players versus players and, um, balancing is never an easy job, but it is easier when, um, when it's the player versus enemies, because an enemy is not on a scream and go, Hey, yeah. that was cheap. You just hit me for 25% more because, because this guy thought, you know, okay. you were being a schlub for the past 10 minutes and decided to mess with some values underneath. It. Right. What, what I thought you were getting at with my games, <laughs> what I thought you were getting at was the, uh, a lot of the server remote play mechanic. Oh, well, yeah. That's what I thought you were getting at. And the reason I even tried split screen was because at that time, um, again, remember this started out as a as a, a prototype running on the Atari VCS. Um, and at that time, they weren't even released. They were just about to send to founders of uh, mm-hmm. the Kickstarter. So um, I had no networking solution. And they weren't like, they were like, we're trying to get these units out. Like, we'll get back to you. So they weren't like, hey, yeah, let's work on some big networking solution and server hosting and all that stuff. So I was like, you know what? This seems like, and to me, it still is, seems like the kind of machine that is um, kind of built for couch co-op. A lot of the games that are on it are couch co-op. Good stuff. And and, um, there's a game, uh, Unsung Heroes, it's a great little platformer. It, it like looks like any other platformer. No offense to the guys that are making it. Um, I mean, if you're into like 2D platformers on the PC or whatever, you know, you go, oh, okay, here's another. Yeah. It's kind of cool, right? Uh, right? But I played it on the dev kit and I was like, oh, this is much better than it looks on the surface. Oh, this is really fun. My son, because it's a co-op play and we played together. And I was like, that's it. That's it. This this tank nonsense that I'm working on, we're going to try it in co-op. Oh, we nice. played it in co-op. This is fun. Okay. Very cool. All right. Hey, Tony, this is good stuff. Uh, no, don't, don't be sorry at all. Um, 
we jumped on your philosophy, your history. Um, you took us through a lot of the different places you've been and where you're going. Um, we'll, we'll have to, you know, I actually want to do a multi-screen um, kind of E3 get together and talk around the, the Instagram version of that. You can get four people on this thing. So um, we'll get some people together with some drinks and talk uh, E3 stories one day. Oh, there we go. But, um, <laughs> but is there anything uh, else that you want to make sure that, you know, people get across from, you know, what you're putting out there, why you stayed in games, any parting words, advice, even if you'd like. Um, let's see. I don't know. For you know, advice, um, make stuff, you know, and make stuff you want to play. If you don't want to play it, I mean, a paycheck's a paycheck and all that. That's fun. Um, whether they say there's work at the post office, um, uh, but really like make something and, and make what you want to play. Um, and for any budding, um, game developers that want to get into this and stuff, um, besides the make stuff, um, take your smallest idea and cut that in half and then realize that you're only going to be able to execute half of that. And like, and and execute it you know retro ninja has been incorporated for a year now um i haven't shipped oh wait it's been two years it's coming on two years see okay. i haven't shipped i haven't shipped um so you know i just be talking out of my ass but um that's what what counts is getting it out right and that's why i say take your smallest idea and cut that in half um don't do what i did i think that's more <laughs> i think that's actually more difficult now with uh with social media, something about the internet and talking to people, it's just easier to talk about stuff than actually do it. Don't be away talk from about the camera. It. Be, about be about it. Really, seriously. Yeah. I mean, and I understand that that today's society, uh, and I sound like an old guy when I say that, but I understand that um, <laughs> a lot of people are being rewarded for talking, right? Now, um, I'm not hating, but I'm talking. Uh, that has a, that, you know, unless you understand how to capitalize on that and, and just kind of like, even like, like, uh, you know, people that have ball careers, right? Like the money, yeah, they, they get the money from, from signing and all that a career, but the real money and the real like legacy comes from what you do outside of that ball career. Cause that, that, that's like a bright spark that burns out quick. Mm -hmm. And to me, talking about it and not being about it is that too like yeah okay now you can you know you can make a bunch of money and all that fun stuff you can be the ace family sure you can go and talk about it and not really be about it but that's going to burn out right so what do you do for your longevity um and that's why i say like i i encourage everybody to make a game I encourage especially the people out there using terms like lazy or anything and talking crap about game devs, go and make Space Invaders. Go and make Pawn. You will find out from even from the simplest. Yep. From end to end. Not not like I have an idea and I talked about it, right? Or I, you know, I, I grabbed a template from the asset store and, I, and then I shipped it. Like, no, I mean from end to end make something right and make it small so that you can actually get through it and you will find out more about game making and more about yourself just from making that space and readers or pawn uh i i, I encourage 
everyone. It should be compulsory in school, as far as I'm concerned. <laughs> Definitely. Uh, sound, sound words of advice, my friend. Yeah. So, uh, I mean, you were done with that thought? Oh, uh, you know, I could, I could yak for days. Uh, <laughs> yeah, we should probably figure out how to chop this up for the next year or two, like Vlad TV does. Oh man, <laughs> you know what? That's a that's a that's a thought. Um, well, I'll definitely be getting this out. Um, I'm going to be putting it on the podcast streams at some point. I'll put it out on on YouTube. Uh, we'll make it available, and then we can start making clips out of it or whatever. But I'm definitely glad I got you on here before the year was out. Uh, you have a lot of great words to say. Um, you know, uh, thanks, thanks, thanks for having me, man. I I I see you. I see you. I see you talking all the time. I, you know, sometimes I don't engage because sometimes I'm pretty salty. Um, oh, that's okay. No, I, <laughs> I, not, I, not with you, but you know, uh, the, the discussion's good. Uh, oh, right, right. Those but I, yeah, I've always been like, you know what? Uh, I need to go to one. Of, I need to go to one of Benji's uh, shows or something, man. I need to just get out of the house. And then COVID hit, and it's like, oh, oh yeah. <laughs> Well, you know, I'm actually doing this um, because I was I was in the mode of just kind of going in my dungeon, doing my thing. And then at some point I started, I was listening to Gary Vee. I was just getting into the whole marketing, sales, branding mm -hmm. side of things. And I had actually done a lot of that work while I was in corporate America. But I was like, holy crap, I need to kick it up to another level of getting out, talking to people um, and such and such on my own. So, you know, as you said, don't talk about it, be about it. I was like, I'm going to get out there. Let me revamp my, my personality, not my personality, my persona that I put mm -hmm. out, started doing all these live Instagrams, uh, started out on Facebook actually, but mm -hmm. Instagram ended up working out better. Gotcha. And now, now I'm just doing a lot of this and still doing my development on the side, but I had to get this part down. So no, it's, it's a, it's a good thing to get down and it's not easy again like with the game development i think everyone should try anytime anyone thinks that something's easy and thinks think that they want to do it then they should try and do it you should definitely do it because then you'll find out you'll find out how easy or not it is yeah and either way either way you learn something right so always learning Good. and you know uh parting parting words um so yeah i'm uh 50 now Crazy. Hey, congratulations. Um, and uh, I was saying to my son the other day, I said, uh, yeah, I'm going to be like this like this uh, one guy that, um, he, yeah, it took him forever to do this hit album of his, um, this little album called Thriller um, uh, that he produced, uh, Matt 50, because uh, Quincy Jones produced uh, Thriller at 50. So that's like inspirational because it's like, well, if Quincy wasn't done at 50, yeah, who am I? I got yeah. I, I got another thirty years of this. I'm good. Nice. <laughs> I love the goose store, man. So, is there? How can people find you? Um, you can find me everywhere. Uh, RetroNinja.com. Um, you know, uh, I'm on the uh, what is it here? There's Retro Ninja Games on IG, and um, Eight Bit Ninja is me on Twitter. There's a uh, retro ninja five. Cause I guess I needed the number. <laughs> um, <laughs> and, the other uh, we're talking. and Facebook, there is retro ninja. 
Okay, Tony Barnes. I'm, I think I'm pretty easy to find. And I try to keep up, I'll keep up with IG a little bit more, but now that I can actually post um, on the PC, uh, no offense, yeah. but I'm not always on my, I don't always have the good, good on my phone, you know? So like, right. uh, if I have a trailer, it's not on my phone. If I have like cool screenshots, it's not on my phone. So, but thank you IG for finally allowing me to post um, via my PC. So now there'll be more of that, but yeah, I'm everywhere. All right, I'll have that all linked up, and um, we'll talk again online, offline, in person or not, whatever. Um, Absolutely. And if you get salty in the groups, it's okay. I'll defend you. Uh, no, <laughs> you know. He's just a salty guy. Oh, man. I, you know, uh, I'm, I'm super ultra form fighter champion edition, so I can, I can, yes. I can deal. <laughs> all right well once again i do want to thank you appreciate your time uh that's been it for this one and um yeah as i said i'll hit you up and let you know when everything's posted thanks benjamin all right take all right. care Bye. hey thanks for joining me on this podcast you all make everything i do possible and i really do appreciate it so even if you've got me on social, please visit mrbinja.com and see what's happening and how deep the rabbit hole goes. All right, I'll see you next time. Peace.